We talk a lot about our partners and the products and the amazing things they make, and you should have them year-round. But they're also going to make awesome Christmas presents. So let me just remind you, you have the Any Day Cookware. It is a fantastic gift for storing food, cooking food, serving food. You don't even have to use the microwave. They're just great containers. But we have made the IO series, and you can visit us at Cook anyday.com use the promo code DAVE and get 10% off it's a great great gift for college kids first time you know new graduates professional cooks you name it athletic brewing is something that i'm drinking a lot especially with the new year coming up it's a great gift for people that are trying to drink less and honestly like i just i just drink it all the time cuz it's a great beverage let alone it's one of the best, if not the best, and it's not if not, it is the best non-alcoholic beverage around. Um, visit us at athleticbrewing.com and you can use the promo code ATHLETICGIFT20 for 20% off. There's East Fork Pottery. They make great stuff for us, uh, 15% off. And friend of Dave, one word, is the code. Comment to your coffee is the gift that I will be giving people as well. It is Literally, I don't know anybody that's not going to want it, especially if they like coffee and especially if they're lazy like I am, or if they do like making coffee. I know all kinds of coffee drinkers that are drinking this because it's so quick. It's so easy. Comment to your coffee is a great gift. $40 off your first two purchases when you visit commenteer.com slash Chang, C-H-A-N-G. And of course, great gift of pantry items from Momofuku for yourself or for anybody else. Visit us, shop.momofuku.com, and you use the promo code DOMO10, D-O-M-O-10, for the full line of the Momofuku goods, pantry items, the instant noodles, the chili crunch, the salt spices, or you can visit us nationwide at Whole Foods Target and your great supermarkets near you. All right, guys, it is Monday, the, the Monday before Thanksgiving. I feel like a lot of people will be traveling either today or tomorrow, so... Uh, good chance you might be listening to this on the road. Um, so best of luck, man. This is easily one of the worst days of traveling. I am traveling to New York City myself for the Black Friday game for Thursday Night Football. Reminder that on Friday, it's the first ever NFL game on Friday. Usually you have the Lions and the Cowboys playing Thanksgiving Day, but Amazon and Thursday Night Football is providing a game on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The New York Jets versus Miami Dolphins. I will be cooking up a storm, tailgating, uh, really seeing all the delicious things, tasting all the delicious things that the Jets fans will be cooking up. Uh, I think I'm going to be making a stop at the Jets facilities. Um, And during the game, I'm going to be making the first ever inaugural Black Friday leftover Thanksgiving Day sandwich for the MVP of the game. So excited to hang with Carissa Thompson, Andrew with Richard Sherman, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Tony Gonzalez uh, on Black Friday. Currently, I am in Las Vegas. I'm on the road a lot, and I'm in Las Vegas for the F1 race. First ever Las Vegas Grand Prix. Um, very excited. I have never been to one. There's a lot of construction. There's a lot of people. This is something like I've never seen. I've been in Vegas a lot over the years for all kinds of events, fights, bouts. There's a Super Bowl coming up, but this is something that Las Vegas has never seen before. Um, 
I just learned that there actually was an F1 race in Las Vegas uh, 41 years ago, but it was a very different time and different era of F1. And now with the Netflix series Drive to Survive, there's a lot of people that are completely new to the sport here in Las Vegas, excited to see what's about to happen because it's, it's hard to describe if you're not here. The anticipation and a lot of the construction, it's you know, fundamentally transformed in Las Vegas. Anyway, let's get on to the show. This episode is brought to you by Smucker's Uncrustables. I love a food hack. Check out Uncrustables, the best part of the sandwich. It's a round, crimped sandwich made with soft, pillowy bread filled with peanut butter and jelly. The best part is you simply freeze and thaw them, pop them straight from the freezer into a lunchbox for less work on a busy morning. You'll find Smucker's Uncrustables in the freezer aisle. Learn more at Uncrustables.com. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Seeing that... It's a it's a, a travel day, travel week. Christine is not here. We're going to do an entire episode of Mailbags and Ask Dave. So uh, we're going to keep it pretty dialed in on that. Not, not, nothing else, right? Uh, so let's get started. You know what we got? All right. Um, I mean, before we do that, it's the holidays. And that means there are some epic cooking catastrophe stories out there. We want to hear all about it. So. Uh, you can also ask us to settle food disputes, respond to something we talk about on the pod, or ask Dave anything. Email us at askdave at majordomomedia.com or tag me, you know, on Discord. You can sign up for our Discord by going to major, majordomomedia.com. All right. So ask Dave, you're a honeymoon. Hi, Dave. My name is Colby. And my wife and I are planning our honeymoon for mid-May 2024. We are starting our honeymoon in London, but can't seem to figure out where in Europe to go. So I own a small restaurant and she's in the hospitality business. Any recommendation for cities, countries, and restaurants that we must visit? We are open to any suggestions in Europe. Thank you. Do they describe what time frame? Like how much time do they have to plan? They did not give us a time frame. They just said it was going to be in May of next year. Well, May of next year, I think Nomo will be closed. But uh, Copenhagen is always wonderful, regardless. Uh, one of my favorite cities. May is a wonderful time to be there. It'll still be actually a little bit chilly, but uh, it's super fucking cold in the wintertime. So May's great. I, I love all of Scandinavia. Uh, Stockholm's got great food. Norway. Um, Oslo is... I haven't spent as much time in Oslo. I, actually, I've only been to Oslo once. Stockholm and more, more specifically Copenhagen is just a wonderful place. And, and a lot of the places that you don't need reservations are great, but. Um, Christian Bauman's restaurant that I think got two stars is uh, I've been told is his take. He's an adopted Korean and he's doing his version of Korean food. And I've been told by numerous people that it is truly delicious. So you might want to check that out. But if Copenhagen isn't on your radar and you have like a week, I honestly would forego going to France. Don't get mad. Uh, there's all kinds of great cities, but if I'm in London, again, the great thing about living in London is you're literally almost an hour flight away from everything. I would go to Spain and I would go to San Sebastian if you haven't been. Um, and clearly I would do El Cano, which is an hour outside. 
uh, you're going to need to find transportation. Uh, that can be the only difficulty besides getting a reservation. I would recommend eating for lunch as well. And Echabari, which is the well-known charcoal grilling restaurant that's been around for years. It has become sort of a must-do. These two restaurants are the must-do places. But there's so many pincho bars. There's so many other restaurants. There's Muguritz. San Sebastian is a great city because uh, I don't, I'm not even sure what to do culturally there. <laughs> there are a lot because all I ever do there is eat. So um, I would I would just do San Sebastian for sure. Um, or check out Barcelona. Um, but if you're not going to do Spain, Rome, Rome would be good. It's a nice, beautiful place. Somewhere in Florence would be good. Florence can be a little touristy. I, I understand Rome is clearly very touristy as well. But that might be cool. A city that you can walk around in. Um, and Moderna. You know, besides Massimo Vittura's restaurant, that's just a cool city, uh, Bologna as well. So maybe Italy. I'm trying to think as a city that you could localize all of your sort of honeymoon holiday efforts on and just eat. Um, I'm avoiding Paris because I think it's not that it's played out at all, but I wouldn't want to spend a week there with on a honeymoon. But I'm going to have to because Grace really loves Paris. Uh, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Paris. I haven't been in a while. Um, you know what? That's sort of close by. I'd go to Istanbul. I want a walking city. I want a place where you can discover things. You have some of the most beautiful mosques in all of the world there. And some of the most beautiful Christian cathedrals there as well. You have an old city, a new city. It is still to this day, probably my favorite city I've ever been to. And the eating from the high to the low, from kebabs and shawarmas and donuts, it is just on a, it's so goddamn good. Um, I, I, I would say maybe from London, I mean, it's close enough. I would just do Istanbul. So that would be my, that would be my, my uh, recommendation. I would do San Sebastian or Istanbul. All right. Thanks, Dave. Okay. Our next one, and this is about Japanese whiskey. Hi, Dave. Big fan. I've been a fan of yours since I have seen an episode of one of Anthony Bourdain's shows. Uh, my question to you is, Japanese whiskey really better than scotch? And have you ever been to a distillery in Scotland? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I, I'm not a big scotch drinker. Um, I've had way more Japanese scotch and whiskey than actually scotch from Scotland. I've never, actually, I don't think I've even been to Scotland, so I, I couldn't have gone to a distillery. Have I been to Scotland? Maybe I have. It's been a long time. But, you know, the Japanese whiskey scene is very big, and both of them are extremely expensive because the, the supply is very, very limited. I got to say, as much as I like a nice glass every once in a while, I'm not the biggest fan of the, the peatiness and the smokiness of, of scotch. I can appreciate it. Sometimes I'll love my, you know, hibiki or something like that. But and it's more of the mood is right, especially if I'm in Japan or if I'm in a really nice uh, situation where I want to drink um you know, scotch on the rocks or something to that degree. But I've always been a bourbon person over scotch. Always American bourbon and whiskey, simply because it's domestic and simply because it has its own history in and of itself. It's not that I don't appreciate it. 
but I say I definitely have had more Japanese whiskey. I just not the biggest fan of, I would say again, in my, if I had to choose an area and there's many holes in my food knowledge game, scotch and whisk, Japanese whiskey would be one of them. But I'd always feel that some of the Japanese whiskeys in general are less smoky than the stuff you would get in Scotland. I would also say that of the scotch that I've had, a lot of it has been consumed in Korea or in Korean karaoke bars. Because <laughs> there's, I, I don't know much about the data, but uh, I know Diageo owns Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker seems to make every sort of, it's almost like a sneaker drop of colors specifically for Korean people. <laughs> I don't know what it is about Korean people, but man, it's like, dude, they got the Johnny Walker turquoise. We gotta buy it. Let's drink it. And then they'll buy the most expensive Johnny Walker and like drop, uh, drop it in a shot of beer. It's so dumb. This is getting, it's hitting really close to home. <laughs> because it's true. It's, it's, I cannot, nor will I ever understand the, the fascination that Korean culture has with Johnny Walker and specifically Johnny Walker. They're like sneaker heads for Air Jordans. You know, it's so weird that no matter what, they have to buy it and they have to drink it. And it has to be the, 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 the rarer the color is the one they want to drink. Yeah, that's just like fact. The, the blue one is like the, the, the standard like high-end Johnny Walker, right? And then whenever you're on a flight to Korea, you'll see it in the duty-free catalog and it's priced just low enough to where you're going to buy it as a gift for your uh, whoever you're seeing when you're there. Oh my God. So, so if you want a guaranteed gift, if you're visiting someone that's Korean, not Korean American, if you're not sure what to do and you do, when you visit somebody and like if you're going to visit them, you need to bring a gift, correct? You know? Yes. Do not go empty-handed. There is one, there's only one surefire gift, regardless of gender, regardless of age, right? As long as they're old enough to drink, they're not like, a, even like a late teenager, I think it's okay. There's only one universally accepted gift that you don't even have to worry about. And that's buying them a bottle of Johnny Walker. No, everyone's going to be like, you know, they're going to inside, they're going to be like, thank you. It's never going to be like, whoa, unless you get like the rarest drop of Johnny Walker ever. But if you just get them like a gold, a blue, I've even seen like a purple or something like that, turquoise, like then, yeah, that's that's good. Gold is good. Black's black's airing on the that's more of an everyday drinker side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't 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 go black. Don't go black. Don't go red. Yeah. Definitely no green, color. green, green is good. Green is nice. Green is nice. Green is nice. <laughs> See, and here's the thing. Uh, no offense, Johnny Walker. I think they all taste the fucking same. <laughs> oh, man. the blue one goes down a lot easier. I think for sure. The blue one goes down pretty easy. <laughs> Somebody. All I'm trying to say is a reminder, folks, that you know is a giant Korean person who's consumed <laughs> a lot of Johnny Walker. I don't understand why, but no other culture I know is where, where Johnny Walker is literally catnip. It's so weird. It's yeah, it's insane. And, and like you said, it's such a reliable gift. You know what I mean? Like not overshooting just right. Just right. So, you know, I've had a bunch of Bushmills. I have a bunch of doers and, um, you know, one of my proud items is a rare bottle of Bushmills that Patrick Stewart, 
you know, Picard gave me. He had That's a so him and I think uh, um, Jonathan Riker number two bought a couple barrels in like the last days of Star Trek, and they bottled it. And um, I received one from Patrick Stewart. It's a, one of my most cherished items. It's an engraved bottle of Patrick Stewart's own Bushmills whiskey. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Dave, you mentioned something a little bit back that kind of piqued my interest. Uh, karaoke bars. What's your number yeah. 18? What's your go-to song? I don't drink. I don't do karaoke. I have. But that's when I used to drink a lot. And even when I did, it would be, I just don't, here's the thing. I don't dance and I don't, I don't sing. And I just can't. So if I have a song, I don't even know what it is because I I don't even karaoke. And I understand if you're in Korea or if you go to K-Town LA, sometimes that's not an option. But I don't really have that many karaoke moments. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Facts. I can believe it, but I can't believe it. <laughs> I believe it about you. I just can't believe. All right. Well, let's. What's your what's, your what's your what's your karaoke song? Like, I I I I can't I can't act. I can't. Mm-hmm. There's something about being that. I can be embarrassing in other ways, and I can put myself out there in the world in other ways that most people may not, and be again as Jerry Salt says, naked. But the idea of being naked in an optional fashion where nothing is on the line, right? Dancing mm-hmm. in front of people, like it drives my wife crazy. I can't do it. It's almost like some kind of learning disorder, disability. I can't. We're like and opposite. singing in public. I can't do it. Yeah. I'm, it, it, for, those, for those that can, it's always amazing. Uh, good for you, but it's not for me. <laughs> Fair enough. Learn something new every day. Okay, this is an easy one. Hi, Dave. If you could only put one condiment sauce on top of your meals for the rest of your life, what would you choose? And I can't say Momofuku Chili Crunch. No, you can't say, you can't plug the Momofuku. And I can't say Momofuku Hot Honey. (laughs) And I can't say Momofuku Savory Salt. (laughs) As he he goes through and says them all. One condiment that you put on everything, like it's not ketchup. Is it hot sauce, he said? It's, It's one condiment slash sauce. Could be a condiment, could be a sauce. I mean, I think for most people, it's the same thing, right? It's salt, right? Like, wouldn't you? I don't view that as a condiment, though. I'm, I'm thinking like I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting this in the lens that it's got to be some kind of saucy thing, like a ketchup or a sriracha or something like that. Yeah. You know what? I, I'm gonna say probably sriracha. Really? Yeah. Okay. If oh, I can't sure. use something called Momofuku Chili Crunch, and I. Or laugama or something that is, uh, you know, of that word, or sal- salsa matcha or something like that, or salsa in general, or seca. You know, if I have to do something that is a little bit more available, and that's why I think when you're saying condiment, I, I said it'd be something that is accessible, right? Like a Heinz 57 product or Tabasco. Um, I'd probably say Tabasco too, but it can, I love Tabasco, but it can't be like a knockoff, like Trader Joe's Sriracha is hot garbage. You're talking you know, about the, yeah. Hui Foods original. That's what I, okay. that's what I would do. Or, you know what I would say if, if it wasn't mass produced, I'd say a ginger scallion sauce or XO sauce would be something I would put on. But if it is mass produced, I would say sriracha. Fair enough. 
This episode is brought to you by Smucker's Uncrustables. I love a food hack. Check out Uncrustables, the best part of the sandwich. It's a round, crimped sandwich made with soft, pillowy bread filled with peanut butter and jelly. The best part is you simply freeze and thaw them, pop them straight from the freezer into a lunchbox for less work on a busy morning. You'll find Smucker's Uncrustables in the freezer aisle. Learn more at Uncrustables.com. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Look to your left, look to your right. Yep, no one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Terms apply. What is the closest thing to Lucky Peach we currently have in today's food media? To me, it seems like no single entity has really come to replace it. Why is that? Grub Street, Eater, and Bon Appetit are all great, but they don't have the creative zest that LP had. My perception of it could be off, though, because I only discovered it recently. You know, I think that's a good question, and I, I don't know if I'm going to answer that directly, but it's something I feel like if you've been listening to this podcast, we've talked about in subtler ways to, throughout the inception of the real podcast uh, since we've been doing it. I'm beginning to think more and more, not beginning to think more and more, I'm more confident that very, very, it's very rare where the underground or something that is left of center or the alternative actually infiltrates the mainstream in a complete revolution. And I think it was easier to do. When I mean like a revolution, I think that like it changes the way things are done and becomes sort of like a, not the mainstream per se, but in some way, because like this exponential growth that a lot of things have now, it grows too fast. And before social media, it it had enough like energy to like slowly grow and build momentum into this avalanche, right? That would change. And I think a lot of the the things that are alternative or different just don't have enough runway to, to really affect mass change. I think that also is tied into the fact that uh, we live in a world where everyone can have their own bubble. And so it's almost impossible to penetrate things on a mass scale. Again, remind yourself that, uh, you know, I was just listening to Matt Bellany on Bill Simmons. The Cosby Show used to have 50% of the audience that watched TV uh, on network television. There used to be three channels, right? So it was easier to sort of slowly grow an idea and to get, you know, change to happen. I always think about when Nirvana happened. I don't think Nirvana happens today, right? It just wouldn't, right? Uh, it's, I just, maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. It's not for me to sort of say because I can't control that, but. I think it was easier to get momentum to be an alternative because in some way you're, you you need to slowly build your fan base. And now you don't have the chance to build a fan base because it has to happen instantly. And I don't know what I'm saying makes sense to a degree, but 
anything that now is different because of technology, you can steal from it instantly. So it's very, also, it's another level of difficulty to create a new train of thought. Uh, so number one, I think is because of the pockets. Uh, it's too fast. You need a, a slower trajectory to getting some kind of sustainability, a momentum. Two, I think that um, technology allows the bigger, more mainstream people to steal more quickly from anything that is new. And I think lastly, people are sort of set on their ways. I don't think people ultimately want too much change. They want the idea of it. They, they want the pulse that they're constantly new things on the horizon, on their social media feed, on their TV, in the newspaper, because that sense of change, that cadence, I think, allows people to sort of measure time to some degree, that there's movement in the world. But if that's just it. It's, it's just a reminder that change is happening. So I don't, it sounds a little bit too philosophical to me, just talking it out loud. But I just don't think people want change. Right. For this degree, like America will always be a steakhouse culture, always be a steakhouse culture. New York City, as an example, why, you know, you talk about something that's alternative. New York City prides itself on the cutting edge and the new, or at least it did. And the same criticism I gave to sort of, you know, the Bay Area many years ago with Bourdain about figs on a plate, I think is very true with New York City. And and such as that, I think figs on the plate was a revolution in and of itself that actually won, right? And uh, and it's not just that; it's it's just um, well. Let me just specify this to New York. New York wanted the idea of new, but they don't want something so new that the gatekeepers can't control it, right? And it's one of the reasons why I feel like New York never. I think there's two reasons. One is what Alex Dupac brought up with restaurants. And I know I'm linking restaurants to say LP, but I do think there's some similarities. Doing something um, like Chicago has always adopted and wanted the avant-garde because going out to dinner is an event out of the house, right? Where most people eat their meals at home. Whereas in New York, going to a restaurant is someone's cantina. I know this from firsthand experience, right? It's just both as a a resident of New York City and as a restaurant owner and chef, you see regulars because it's just too much of a pain in the ass to eat. So like to some degree, you want to have the cadence of the same. What New York wants uh, instead of cutting edge is the fear of missing out, right? They, They want inaccessibility. But they want to broadcast that inaccessibility to everybody, right? Um, it's the, I'm in the in and you're on the out. And for, you could do that with food to some degree, but it was just too insular and too inside baseball for everyone else. And I think for a lot of the critics, because they didn't know what the fuck was happening and they just didn't get it and they missed it completely. And I think one day that we'll be able to write the history that, New York City really missed the opportunity to be a thought, like a a, a, a progressive mover in modern food. So there's a lot of things that need to happen, but it's the same reason. Well, even if that did happen, I still think people just want comfort and they want the same and they want luxury and the choppings of that. And they also want to have supply and demand, right? 
I, I guess I, what I, you know, just trying to talk it out loud and distill it. We want the idea that it's there. We want the option to change the channel, to read a new book, to read a new newspaper, new blog, new website, but it's not going to ever become your normal feed. In fact, most of the things that you might read now on your, you know, however you get information, both in news or entertainment, it's probably just tinged just with enough variety, but it's going to remain the same. And I guess it's just a long way of me saying that, you know, shit doesn't change nearly as much as you think. Yeah. And I mean, obviously with the magazines, like it has your captive attention. You pick up this, this physical thing and you, you read exclusively that. You know, but these days with your phone, you just it just you just need to swipe up, and all of a sudden you you know it's different information. It just needs to differentiate itself slightly. But like when you're talking about like New York and being supply and demand, can you kind of unpack that for me a little bit? Like, what does that mean? Like, it's access. New York City is a lot of different things to a lot of people, but for people that live there that are in the creatively, even on the the business end of things, right? New York City is all about who can get keys to access of things. That's really it, right? And and like that's what I mean is is like that that is what gets broadcast. But that's not avant-garde and that's not left to center. That's just limited supply. But that doesn't move the needle culturally. It used to, you know, when again, when things I think moved a little bit slower. But with things moving so fast that it just doesn't have the ability to plant roots long term and you need deep, long roots that's not just planted in the topsoil, but goes really deep down into the culture. And I just think things move too fast. And since things move too fast, we over index on access and the ephemeral nature of access um, rather than new ideas actually changing things. I don't know what I said. Listen. I've never articulated this before, so clearly it's a little bit mumble jumbled, but uh, I'll be working on it and trying to figure out how to articulate it even some more. But I think ultimately trying to find a way to distill it into two sentences. One is people never really want to change. Two, technology prevents alternative things from really latching on and growing in a slower pace. I think that if you want change, it has to be deeply rooted and grow in a pace that is not accelerated like things are today yeah which is why you have a lot of zines now you have a lot of alternatives but it's never going to get the mainstream attention because the bigger people are stealing ideas from the smaller people and it's so fractured that no one's going to know that theft is happening as well hey fellas i was wondering as someone who's handy in the kitchen without being a home chef what are three dishes that everyone can and should learn to make that are incredibly good to eat, but don't require a disgusting amount of effort slash weird kitchen utensils? Thanks for the show and the insight. Text from Adelaide, South Australia. I think meatballs are super easy to make that you can sandbag and you can make them a variety of cultures and flavors from Asia to Italy and everything in between um, from dry to sauced or braised uh, lion's head. You know, turkey, I, I just think meatballs and ground meat is something I make quite a bit, especially with kids or even without kids. I, I just think it's delicious and easy. And even if you don't, I would say just anything ground beef. If you just have turkey and you just salt and like season it with salt and pepper, ground, ground turkey or ground chicken, and you 
sort of smash burger that and you serve it with rice and the pickles, like it's a delicious, that's a delicious meal. Just to make sure you get it nice and crispy with the Maillard reaction. I think another thing I make is uh, sandbaggable. We make a lot of pastas, right? And one of the things I make always is pesto. And it's one of the things that I make that like the kids and adults would eat. Um, and I like it for the kids specifically. I can sneak in broccoli and I can sneak in out so much fat in the pine nuts. Pine nuts are traditionally in pesto are basically just little fat bombs and the cheese and the salt. So, and, and, and just a copious amount of olive oil. I, I love that. And what I do is I will make a giant quart or two of pesto and freeze it. And I can add that to a lot of things. I can add that to flatbreads. I can add that to any pasta that's happening. Sometimes we might just buy pizza and I can put a little dollop on that. So as I, almost like a condiment, it's, it's fantastic. I can put that now on uh, roast chicken. You know, I think pesto is one of the most versatile sandbaggable things because frozen works great as well. Um, and I like to make it simply because not necessarily cheap because pine nuts and Parmesan can be expensive, especially with olive oil. But it's something that's super easy to make. I will say that if you make it with a mortar and pestle, it is infinitely better than doing it in a blender. Sometimes I will make it in a mortar pestle, but oftentimes I make it in a blender. It's like what? Pine nuts, olive oil, parm, salt, pepper. Sometimes I might add a little bit of lemon juice. That's it. Garlic. Not, not, not that many ingredients for something that gives you almost what feels like an unlimited way of adding it to a variety of things. Another thing that I make that's sandbaggable is dashi, right? Sometimes I'll make proper Japanese style dashi. More often than not, I might use dashi packs that are Korean. And you can buy the same things that are Japanese, but the Korean dashi packs are different because they might have not just kombu, but have dried shellfish or dried fish. You need to be careful with the dried shellfish like I do because of shellfish allergies, but you can have a, a melchi broth, like a, like a, like an anchovy dashi. And the reason I have that on hand, or I make it very quickly, uh, I might just bring up a, some water, uh, bring it to a boil and then add those packs. And I might do that. Like when I leave, before I leave work, I leave for work and just put a lid on that and let it steep all day. And when I get home, I have it ready to go. So I can now turn that into uh, like Korean denjang jjigae. So again, I can, with that broth, I can add zucchini, garlic, uh, tofu, mushrooms. Um, and I have a really hearty, delicious stew, mushrooms. Or I can do it as a chanji um, guksu. So it's like I could turn that into like somen or I could turn that into uh, a, a, like a base for like a, like a stew or a braise. Or I could turn that into cold, cold dipping noodles, right? Or I could use that as a base to make it like mori soba with dried soba noodles. Or something that I do quite a bit, I could use that dashi as the the, the, the liquid environment for rice to make a, a pot of donabe, right? So that liquid is, is, gives me extraordinary amount of versatility, right? So all kinds of noodles, both cold and hot, I can make. I cannot even make a denjanjige. I could just make that as miso, right? I can turn that into a straight like shiro miso. I can now use that 
And if I want to make a sukiyaki, I can use that as the base to braise, you know, uh, konyaku, which is devil's root, chicken. I have, um, you know, any kind of other thin protein, green veg, and I have like sukiyaki. Or I could turn it into more Korean thing and make it a jonggu, which is more of like a cross between like a soup and stew, right? More or less, right? I can add shellfish. I can cook crabs and I can c- turn that into a meowentang, right? which is like a, a spicy seafood fish type of thing. Um, all of that is possible because I now have a, uh, a liquid environment that has a lot of umami that is a different kind of dashi. So again, I'll use make it Korean or Japanese. And when I have that on hand, I feel almost empowered. I, it gives me confidence to know that I can cook a lot of different things. I have to remind myself that I have to make it more often. Because I, I, I will say that if you don't have it ready, you still need an hour to prepare it if you don't have that liquid ready. So I do like having it. I do like steeping it um, in the morning. Or, you know, I might bring it to boil or I might just keep it in the refrigerator and strain it out later. I do like the dashi packs because I don't need to have cheesecloth or strain it out with all the particulates of katsuobushi if I make a Japanese one. And oftentimes I don't use kombu either, but uh, that's there. Another thing I can do if I have that, if I have pork belly, I'll just do braised pork belly. So I will uh, cut up some pork belly. I will sear it off with salt and then I will add sugar and soy and the dashi and, I, and garlic and ginger and I will boil the shit out of that. And what really I get is a, a very light uh, tonkotsu style broth, right? Not tonkotsu, it's just I turn it into ramen. So again, like that gives me so much uh, a variety or, or I can make a milfui nabe. So I, again, I give you all the dishes that I literally make. I can still use that liquid and I can make a chawanmushi in the any day or a gerangjin uh, if I wanted to cook it more of a Korean style. So it's funny how important that broth is, that flavor is to me, because it's probably the cornerstone of when I cook anything. And if I don't have that, I cook completely different foods. But if I'm making Asian flavored, particularly Korean or Japanese food, I don't make, basically, I can't make Korean or Japanese food without that. Is there anything else that's easy to make? Oh, We've talked about this before, and I do this a lot, especially in the mornings. I, I have crepe batter a lot in my house, um, which is easy. It's one egg to one cup of flour to um, one cup of milk. It's a little salt. You just blend that together. Um, I, I just do that in a Nutribullet, and I'll just keep that in the fridge. And that gives me the ability to make um, like a big pancake. Like I can cook like a thick one in a nonstick pan and I can actually put layer upon layer. So I'll cook one piece without turning into a proper crepe and then put another. So it's like relatively thick. And I can serve that with butter and pancakes, like a pancake. I could put, I could really crisp it up with a lot of oil and butter. And I can almost turn that into like a flour tortilla with cheese. So it gives me optionality for lunch. It's also things that I like. I can, so it gives me breakfast. It gives me lunch um, and, and not really dinner. Um, and I can also make it super sweet. That's not a pancake by just putting it in a jam and rolling it up. So I like having that. It's super simple to make. But when I have it in my house, 
Um, inevitably, I almost make just cheese crepes for the kids all the time. That's a pretty good solution. Hey, regarding the the stock, do you are you able to freeze that? Does it lose anything if you freeze it? You can definitely freeze it, but I don't think there's any reason to freeze it because it takes almost no time. Um, and in terms of the 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 volume that you're going to make, you want to make yes. In for home cooking, I don't think it matters. But listen, the art of making dashi is truly an art in and of itself. So there's restaurant level and high end level making dashi. This is not that. You know, I've been privy and being able to witness and to work, and I think some of the best uh, dashi in the world, where you're you're shaving the katsu alu minute. Um, I've seen other things that were cooked, like baby bluefin tuna that's been turned into bushi. That is super delicious. Um, and you're, sh- you're shaving that and the temperature is exact and you're extracting it like a tea. You're never boiling it. There's a lot of things you can do and it's made fresh. Sometimes it's made multiple times a day because flavor can dissipate. And if you make a bad you know, and you can make a remelage. So that's the French term for a second or third batch, especially when you make like a veal stock because the veal bows are so expensive. You do that with dashi as well because dashi is not cheap. So that first press, that first boil of dashi, if you're just using Japanese katsubushi style, like traditional, I almost never do that with kombu. I almost always get it straight with really good katsu. I only get like that first batch with uh, just the bonito. Then I will do a uh, kombu one, which again is not necessarily what people would do, but I just want pure, clean flavor if I'm making katsuo. Because if you add the seaweed, the kombu, it really dramatically alters the flavor, in my opinion, and a little bit goes a long way. Um, and that's why I do it differently. Or sometimes back in the day, I would just make a kombu dashi and a katsu with bushi dashi. And I sometimes I would blend that together at the end, like a cuvee in a dish. And I've seen that before in a lot of kitchens as well. But restaurant level dashi making is, it's like its own station to a degree. And I would not do that at home. And also home cooks just do not get the level of katsu bushi you would get at a higher level place. It's just not happening. That being said, if you lived in Japan, there are like a baker and a meat monger. There are places that you could just buy dashi. There are people that just shave shit and a variety of different qualities for you because that's how important it is to Japanese cuisine. As it relates to Korean food, it's so easy to make because you could just, you know, my mom used to have like this, like basically like a, a tea ball and she would just stuff it full of anchovies and she would make, you know, uh, melchi broth. That way melchi is Korean for anchovy. Or uh, pollock, right? Dried any kind of dried fish. Ultimately, if you cook in water and steep, you're going to get a very flavorful liquid. So Japanese dashi is much like, as an example, like miso versus Korean denja, right? Or better yet, shiso versus gidni, right? A Korean dashi is more powerful. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> It is, and the dashi packs clearly are are a, a, a nice balance because they're portioned out and you use one pack for maybe four cups of water or something like that. You still get different flavors than you would normally get in just katsubushi. But I find the dashi packs are just flavorful enough that it's a dashi. But if you wanted to make like real Korean flavored broths, in my opinion, those are like 
a completely different language than the Japanese dashi. Um, super fishy and not in a bad way, right? It's fucking intensely fishy in a good way. Um, so I'm a little less precious when I make Korean kind of stuff, right? To me, Japanese flavors are always cleaner. And when it's not, when I get a second or third pressing of dashi as a remi, I'm using the second or third as a braise or a stew or uh, something that is going to be more muddled in flavor in a good way as well. Interesting. All right. Thanks, Dave. Is that, was that useful at all? It was. I mean, it really kind of like got into, and it's really fascinating to hear how your mind works. Because when you're like talking about, hey, from this thing, all these other dishes can be made and they're all like pretty like accessible dishes, right? So I think that's the part where I really enjoyed Rosie. No, it's true. It's like, this is where sometimes, like I remember when I first started cooking, I didn't understand when, you know, everyone has their own way of coming up with a dish. For me, it's very different, right? Like, um, I almost always work with the protein backwards. A lot of people, I think, look at the market vegetables first and then build it that way. To me, it's it's not necessarily protein. I I need to have one element done, right? That is crucial. When I say meat, um, for me, it's got to be not necessarily meat, but one element of a dish that gives me optionality, right? So when I say chicken, like a whole chicken, like that would be an example. Then I can like work my way. It's like, you know, reverse engineering, like, oh, I can go here. I can go here. I can go here. It allows me to connect the dots in real time with the ingredients that are on hand. So it's, it's almost like working backwards and seeing, you know, which paths I could take with ingredients that I have in my pantry or my refrigerator or my freezer. So I can work backwards from there. So, uh, so instead of using, using chicken, like if I have dashi on hand, I can now be like, Oh, I don't have any soma and I don't have any soba and I do have a lot of rice. I'll do that. Or I have all that older rice in the rice cooker. I, I'll, I'll just turn that into a juke today with the, with the, you know, so that philosophy or mind of thought thinking has really been the same for me in a professional setting as well. So I just need one thing that can turn into a lot of different things. Uh, I've never been good to just look at a tomato and be like, well, I'm going to make a bruschetta and I want to turn this into a red sauce and I want to do a salad from this. Yeah, I, I do. But, um, I need it to be working with other things. In a weird way, I've never been uh, vegetable focused to that degree. I, yeah, like I, I yeah. I, although I've had a lot of vegetables dishes, um, I've never looked at the market and be like, yes, this is what I'm going to do, which I feel like is how most people think about making dishes. That's a really interesting insight, Dave. Because like every chef I've talked to, tends to look at it the, the opposite way like you're talking about right and it's it's kind of like a inductive process of like oh tomatoes what can i make with this whereas you're kind of looking at it as like here's what i got it's a challenge all right now now whip something up right and figure let's figure this out right so it's just a different way of thinking it's almost like the difference between deductive and like inductive reasoning right it's like well it's inevitable it's like yeah like okay it's tomato season like i just know certain things are there but it's also what is available you know um and when I have, if I look at like, like an heirloom tomato and it's like, okay, there's only so many things I can make with this, right? I can do it as a salad. I can make it a gazpacho. I can make it as a sandwich. I can turn it into a sauce, right? Um, 
there's actually not that many ways, right? Whereas if I'm working backwards, right? And let's just say um, I'm not, let's just say I'm using chicken and not a dashi, right? It's like, okay, I have this chicken. I look in my fridge. I have some, um, I have some fresh tomatoes. I got a half a can of like, you know, chickpeas, right? And that could be no different than if I was in a restaurant. I was like, okay, we have some, you know, cannellini beans. We got some black kale. We have some garlic confit. It's like, okay, I know that tomato cooked down, peeled will go well with this. You know, it's like working my way backwards from the flavor or what I have with everything else. And knowing that the lowest hanging fruit is that I got a delicious tomato. It's really interesting. I'm trying to think back to, do you remember that family meal where you made the, the couscous with the, the chicken thighs? Do you remember that right. with the chickpeas? Yeah, I do. I was fucking blown away, right? And you were just kind of like, it, nothing, not, none of it seemed very like, you know, systematically like developed, right? It was just more kind of like, okay, here's what we got on hand. Uh, and then you just kind of do this thing. And then, you know, a few moments later, you know, Dave things. And then out pops this amazing chicken thigh with like, you know well that's the thing is like yeah so what you know is referring to i don't know if we've videotaped it but we had chicken thighs right and we were trying to make family meal and we you know it's like okay what do we have we actually have like nothing other than chicken thighs if i recall so it's like okay like what can i do with that so a lot of it is out of um desire or need it's um almost like desperation you know, it's like, like I have nothing else to do. So when I, when I, when I have too many options to start, I think that's the best way I could phrase it. If I have too many options at my disposal to start, I'm not able to process a way to whittle it down. Right. So for me, I need to work my way backwards from a fundamental component of a dish. Right. So I didn't even look at the couscous. It was like, I know I have to use protein. I have this chicken. I have to use it. So what could I do? I could salt and pepper roast. You know, one of the best recipes is just family, you know, chicken. Just put on a sheet tray, salt and pepper liberally, and then full blast almost on a broil setting on a sheet tray with a wire rack. And it's fucking awesome. You know, I, I could have done that. I could have done a braise, but then you have to calculate how much time do I have, right? And if I was in a restaurant setting, like making a re- like chicken thigh dish, I'd be like, okay, it's like, what can I, how do I make it this now that's easy for mise en place, but also delicious and work my way backwards. Like, so, so I'm a restaurant and I'm always, always thinking about the execution of it rather than me just fucking around trying to make it work. So then it's like, okay, like what, what other vegetables do I have? And I think that we didn't have any vegetables. We had some olives yeah, and we had potatoes, potatoes and couscous. Yeah. So like, to me, I just started thinking about like tagine flavors and then okay so it's like okay and i knew we had chickpeas so it's like okay like that's what we're gonna do and you just put it together i i think i added some fruit what was the fruit i i added some kind of citrus lemon. in there yeah, yeah lemon yeah and a couple sprigs of thyme i think yeah and, and and it came out great but like it wasn't like oh i gotta make a braised chicken dish yeah with 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 rice you know it was i gotta use this chicken how do i make this delicious and also somebody couldn't eat spicy, so it couldn't be spicy. So it's really deductive sort of process. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. 
Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Well, guys, keep on sending your emails to Ask Dave. I'm happy to answer anything that's not even food related, but we, we're, we're in Las Vegas. We don't have Chris Ying. There's a lot happening right now. Again, if you're listening to this, maybe you're on a plane, maybe you're driving. It is unequivocally one of the worst times to travel, but everyone has to travel to see their family and friends. So I hope you have a good week of travel. And if you're not traveling, I hope you listen to our advice and you have bought your herbs a few, a couple of days earlier, and you are sitting on a stockpile of cream and butter and milk, and you have your turkey ready to go. And you are now, since it's Monday, maybe tomorrow I would make my mashed potatoes and my green bean casserole and all the things I can sandbag. Again, remember, Thanksgiving Day is all of, almost everything is done, can be done ahead of time, including the gravy. The only thing you can't do is a turkey unless you smoke that fucker, right? So yeah, enjoy. And uh, we have another broadcast coming out on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day. And uh, yeah, remember that we'll see you all on Friday uh, in New York City where the Jets play the Dolphins. And we are going to do a lot of culinary things with the Thursday night football team. 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Should be a lot of fun, and I hope I don't cut myself on national TV. Fine. Uh, available on Prime.